Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Um. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by a co-founder and MD at EGN, Executive Peer Network. He's an award-winning keynote speaker and best-selling author. He's Singapore's top 100 entrepreneur winner, a top 100 podcast host, executive coach, and top 1% Ironman athlete in 2021, Nick Johnson. I've asked him to join us here today to talk about his life, his journey, and what he thinks the future of business Hold. So, Nick, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Daryl. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, this is our second conversation. We had a meet and greet, and we just hit it off so well. I just, you know, originally he wanted to have me on his show, and then we talked, and I said, I got to get you on mine because I just think he's got a great story. And even now, I didn't even, I just learned something new, and I like him even more. They did an Ironman. I used to love those and cheer for the Ironman Subaru in Canada. And so it's just an impressive, impressive feat. But before we get into any of this, Nick, I want to ask, how did you even get started in business? Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Yes, I do come from a family of entrepreneurs, Daryl. My mother was an entrepreneur. Actually, she was, you know, doing textiles and things like that, interior design and so on for houses. And my dad was an architect, also running his own business. And my sister back in Sweden is rooming running a hairdressing saloon and also a gym chain so it seems like you know that i was always growing up even my grandparents and so on around entrepreneurs that's that's crazy that's actually very different most people are like no i don't so that's that's fantastic i love that kind of culture so did you have a business as a kid you were encouraged to get into it did you have like a bike to ride and a bike to rent or do you remember one of your first businesses I certainly remember it very well, Daryl. I started, like many kids, you know, running the shop, selling, you know, small toys, candies, or whatever I could get my hands on to family and friends as I was, you know, seven, eight, ten years even, I started that. But it was really when I was 13 years of age, so we're going back to 1988, 89, that's when the personal computer started to take off, uh, the Commodore 64. And... I started up a computer shop in the garage and what I did then because I lived in a small city in Sweden and I realized that they were selling for a few hundred dollars each each of them cheaper in Stockholm so I started to buy them from there ship them down and then I was selling them from my garage so I remember being a very wealthy 14 year old boy uh, so that's where it all started so wait wait you started selling computers when you were four, 13, 14 years old? Yeah, did I you did. startup capital? Well, I started by just, you know, buying one and selling one, earning a few hundred krona, which is the currency in Sweden. And then I, I had that money. I had saved it and I'd done it from some other businesses. I had the starting capital from selling newspapers, magazines, and so on. So I already had that, but I had a dream and a vision. When I was 15, I wanted to have the best motorbike you could buy for money. And I could already buy that one when I was 14, which was not not appreciated by parents nor the local police. 
I love that. I love that. That is so, that's such a great story. Now, so what, you just were a successful entrepreneur right away, or did you have some challenges in the, in your? Challenges came, Daryl, with, you know, teenage years, getting the motorbike. I think the journey there was the most fun. Then having the motorbike with that, you're ending up perhaps in, in, in some bad companies and then alcohol is introduced, you find girls and then you're chasing that instead of the entrepreneurial journey. And that sidetracked me. And I wish I could say that it was only a few years, but that kept going on for a bit too long. <laughs> yeah. Right? As soon as beauty kicked in, the focus changed. You're like 13. Hey, I got all this money. I got a cool bike. And then got it, got it, got it, got it. So how did you overcome that? Did you just grow out of it? Or did you have to learn some lessons? And well, I think my lesson here is that, you know, if we pick up bad habits, they can end up with ba as bad addictions. And we need to break them, we need to replace these bad habits with good habits. And fortunately, I was able to do that as I found golf, and I found a big interest and love for golf. So in university, you know, I, I really got into it to the point where I, I lived on the golf course in Australia. And then I became the president of the golf club, you know, overseeing 400 students who were playing golf. And then I became the captain of the penance team. So I was responsible for taking out the best golfers and go and play at other universities. So that was the turning point where I've had many of these ups and downs in my life. And the life is a roller coaster, but that was one of them when I then broke away from, you know, <laughs> The, the, should I say the, the driving motorbike and drinking beer and running off the girls with, you know, coming in a professional environment and looking after the golf team, that was a very good switch for me. And that the learning there and what I take away from it, and what I think the listeners can take away is, you know, if you're worried about any of the bad habits, you know, look at it and see, can I pick up a good habit where I use my time in a better man, better way? Yeah, I really like that. So it sounds like you changed your environment and changed your friends. And that led to an improvement. Absolutely. And as we're talking today, Daryl, I, I, this happened to me multiple times. And, and I had one of those crashes also in quite recently around 2016, 17. What happened? Well, I guess it's the 40 years crisis, you know, that many of us men can have. And things were going really well for me. But I was in a corporate job. I was not in an entrepreneurial job at that time. I was the manager of 72 hospitals and clinics in Indonesia, earning a good expat package. And I found it quite entrepreneurial in the sense that it was about growing, developing the business, constantly traveling, seeing the clients. So it, it suited me, but I felt a bit stuck. I felt a bit unhappy with where my career was going. But then I also was not so grateful for my family life i had been married for 13 years and i guess my ego was kicking in you know i need a better job and may i could do better i should have a wife who i get along with better and so on so i decided to resign from my job file from a divorce and before i knew it i found myself in a very very lonely place i was isolated mm -hmm. and after then all these years i again came back into bad habits and bad habits led to bad addictions i ended up in bad company and was consuming too much alcohol Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate your candidness. You know, everybody, a lot, what is it? They say success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. So when something's successful, everybody wants to claim that they're part, you know, that they were part of it. But when something doesn't work out, people just don't want to own it. I have a similar story. I mean, I'm in the Philippines now, but when I first, I had a mini retirement in my thirties, I made more money than I knew what to do with. And I kind of just 
you know, I, I helped my, my, my adopted parents retire and I took off to live kind of the tropical island life. And what a lot of people don't realize is sometimes in their life, they think, oh, that would never happen to me. But sometimes those forcing functions you have, those meetings that you have, the fact that you do have to pay bills at the end of the month, they keep you, you don't have the luxury. But when you've got like a whole year or more of money in the bank, like, why not wake up and have a drink? For me, it was marijuana. For me, it was weed. Like, why not wake up and smoke a joint? Like, I'll go, I'll go to this meeting high. I don't need these clients. I'm a be mean if they can't accept me for who I am, right? And you get a bit of a chip on your shoulder. But then, you know, it's the whole thing. You're not addicted till you, you can't, like, right? Like, it's not a problem until it's a problem. And now you've got a problem. Like, oh, I'm good. Like, you flirt with danger, right? Like, you flirt with the danger. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And then all of a sudden, you're like, hey, I... I don't like what's happened. I don't like where things have gone. So, so I appreciate that again. So was it the same thing that helped you this time? You change your environment and your friends or what, did you have like a come to Jesus moment or, you know, like you take some mushrooms and, and talk to your spirit animal. Like what, what really helped, you know? Well, I was keeping it inside me most of the time for quite some time, you know, and trying to grind through, trying to show that you're strong, that you can't deal with it. And I think speaking for many men also we perhaps don't want to admit what is going on and i kept on a good smile and i was having a good time as well because i had been working hard and it was time to catch up many of my friends said you know it's good nick that you're not working too hard and you, you know you're enjoying life as well but it's a fine line there and what happened then was when i was enjoying life too much and then when i had went through divorce and i didn't have that job I was getting back into my entrepreneurial journey, but you know, a couple of startups that failed and, and like you, Daryl, also, I went through money very quickly and I found myself broke, you know, and then there was not much I could do. That's when I hit rock bottom. And while alcohol had not been a, much of a problem before, I suddenly realized that that had taken over. I couldn't stop when I wanted to. And that was a scary fault and a scary feeling. And that's when I decided to actually tell someone i had met a girl who became my new wife at this stage and i told her and she was the first person i told how i felt and she immediately decided to take me to a doctor before i realized what was going on i was there i got the help i needed and then i was into one of the 12-step recovery programs and since then and it's five years next week i haven't had a drink since that's that's, that's fantastic i yeah much much respect yeah, I'm about two years sober myself. I just, it's, it's, uh, yeah, you know, for people that can do that stuff casually, you know, all the power to you, maybe it's good to unwind and relax, but you really need to have a purpose. I think especially, you know, like you have to have a purpose and a drive. And sometimes when you're doing those things, it might be because you've got nothing but time to kill. And then it's kind of like, why don't you have a bigger calling and a bigger purpose? You know, and I, for me, that's been what, what's really, really helped. What do you feel are some of the habits that have really helped you on your path to success? You've talked about habits a lot. So what are some of the key ones? Well, the first one and foremost is what we touched on here. It's vulnerability, you know, the not keeping it to yourself, being vulnerable with a few selected people. And for this one, Daryl, I would say we need both a personal network and we need a professional network and we need to learn and be vulnerable with both these networks so that we are surrounded by people who know what's going on and you have proactively strengthened these relationships and they are built on trust so when something happens because life in life something always will happen then you have built the trust there they know that you are there for them 
so that they actually will be there for you when you need it and you will therefore not keep silent or secret and that is what i do these times i have my whole desk is full of post-it notes everywhere and whenever something and when i have that feeling inside me that is painful immediately i take a stop and i start to write down some names you know who are the people i can call about this and then i make sure i do that i never go to bed or sleep with that pain anymore i call someone and you know that's normally all you need sometimes a problem shared is a problem halved right so yeah daryl the first point is indeed vulnerability i love that that is such a great that's part of a weekly thing that i but you do it daily and immediately i love that and better way better than i do so in the moment if something is happening that bothers you you write down what it is that's bothering you and then you write down a list of all the names of people you think might be able to share some insights or help. And then you take the time to connect with them and you share your vulnerability and ask for help. Absolutely, Daryl. And the thing is, we are so connected now with people, right? And the, yeah. we have instant messenger, voice notes. I use WhatsApp a lot. So if it's someone, something on my mind, I write it down and maybe I have a 10 minute break after a meeting, you know, I grab a coffee and then I send a 30 second voice note to this person. Hey, by the way, this happened to me, you know, I'm not feeling so comfortable, you know, my boss asked me to reduce costs, that means I need to do some layoffs. And I know that you have just gone through some layoffs in your organization, you know, can I give you a call tonight or tomorrow to talk about that, then already you feel that okay, yeah. now I'm not alone in this, right? There's someone else there. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. I love that so much. I think that's a huge takeaway for this. What other habits do you feel have really helped well, your path to success? Well, what after then? So it was in that instance, it was that I told my wife and then we got all the support. So it wasn't yeah, being vulnerable and speaking up. The next step was really to getting myself back to health because I was overweight. I had consumed too much alcohol and I needed help with this. I needed a, a, basically a coach, a fitness life coach to help me to patch everything together. So that was the next thing to do. And we set up some goals. What is it that I want to do? You know, because I had already before in my life done marathons and Ironman events. And here I was, you know, heavily overweight. I could hardly walk three kilometers. So I need, but I couldn't come back to that shape alone. I needed a coach. And what we did then was to set up the goals, getting some wearable devices, setting up some targets. I was clocking it every day. Yeah, there we go, Daryl. And, and, and then, you know, I got the courage back. And after about two, three months, I could jog five kilometers again. And it's only a year after I, I came back from this, I completed a full Ironman again. So that's, you know, from complete obese, extremely unfit back into, you know, perhaps completing one of the toughest endurance events in the world within just a year. That's fantastic. Yeah, you do need about a year to prepare for it. That's, that is fantastic. I love, I love that so much. And something that a lot of people don't realize is our bodies want to be fit and in shape. So you actually never get the best gains in terms of ROI for your time, as you do when you're going from out of shape to in shape. You know, professional athletes are spending so much time, energy and effort to squeeze small percentages of improvements on their performance out. But if you're just like, you know, getting off and getting to the gym for the first time, you're going to get every workout is a massive ROI of time, energy, and investment. And I love that because there's a dirty secret in a lot of these like productivity circles. Everyone's like, oh, you need a, a Pomodoro technique and a planner. And I got this thing that zaps me if I'm not, if I'm late for my meeting, like all these tricks, but energy management, you talked about being able to write, run 5k. 
you know, like that's your energy gas tank. If you can only run one kilometer in a day, that's the energy gas tank you have to bring to all the activities you do in a day. But now we snap your fingers. It's a year later. You can run 5k. You come to every task in your day with five times more energy, focus, resilience. I love that. That is great. So vulnerability, then health first, it sounds like. Any other habits? Yes. Yes. The discipline to stick to it. And this is something also that I learned, you know, many times. And the first time I got into doing the Ironman training, I didn't really know what triathlon was. I just seen it on the social media theme pages of my friends. So when I came into one of those gym sessions, you know, when they ask you, what's your goals? I just put down Ironman and he looked at me, you know, my God, you know, do you have any idea? what you're talking about I said, just put that down but what i realized is that you know it doesn't matter how big of a fitness goal you put as long as you just uh, do what you do when you eat an elephant it's one bite at a time right so you just chew it off and then you keep going so you you give that big plan to a coach where and then they will be able to break it down and and increase it the workout plans and, and that is it and then stick to it i never ever cancel a training sessions unless I'm injured or sick or I or clearly I'm not well I rain or something doesn't do it for me I would do whatever it takes to get the training done there's no excuses there it just has to be done daily I love it daily I love that I love that so I've had this thing forever where I felt like there's a movie called Groundhog Day and in it this guy he's kind of a you know he's kind of a bad guy has you know a lot of character flaws and uh, he goes to bed one day and he wakes up and he's restarted the day before and he gets trapped in this day. And the movie is about him first, like lashing out and playing all these jokes and pranks and whatever. But then it's like, he just kind of submits to this is my, like, this is my existence. Now I'm waking up to the same day to relive it over and over and over. And when I'm sorry, spoiler alert, what he ends up doing is he tries making the day the best day possible, helping as many people as possible, packing all the good stuff he can into a single day as possible. And eventually he actually wakes up to the next day and it's like when he's improved his character. And I saw that as a kid and I thought if I got stuck living the same 24 hour schedule, what would that have to be? So I liked who I was and where I ended up when I was 80. And I just feel like that's something you just kind of touched on. Like some of this, this has to be done daily. And I think that's so powerful. That's so yeah, powerful. It is indeed. And I mean, if we just look at our ancestors, they would be out, you know, picking berries or roots and chewing our things and, perhaps hunting and so on they will be moving around the whole days and yeah. when people say that someone might say you know nick you're exercising too much you know it's too much but we're exercising as ironman triathletes around 20 to 25 hours a week but that means you're moving around you know three hours a day but yeah. those three hours 90 to 95 percent is low intensity yeah. it's like this morning we swim in the ocean for an hour you know other days we will cycle lightly for three hours yeah. we will go for you know light training it's only some intensity like once or twice a week there's an interval run where you push yourself and then perhaps once a week you you push yourself on the bike and then in the pool there's sometimes some speed work there as well but again you know the vast is just light moving the body getting the the blood pumping and and i don't see that that would have any negative effects it just keeps you in your best physical shape and also you're getting close to nature yeah and people don't realize but you know it's not like me versus nick it's Nick versus Nick. And when you improve your fitness, you actually, it's like upgrading your computer. You improve your hardware, your bones are denser, your heart works better. Your brain has more oxygen. They've all done all sorts of research that if you just do a 10 minute walk and take an exam, 
you're more likely to get a better score than if you were just sitting. And that's because when the blood slows down, right? Like it's not feeding your brain. Like if it, creatures that don't move have smaller brains. If you thought about it like a car, you have a parked car. And if the car is never going anywhere, it doesn't need headlights. It doesn't need a horn. It doesn't need axles, doesn't need wheels, doesn't need an engine. And your body's the same thing, right? Like if you don't move. And so you really, it's really, 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 really important. And um, Qigong and Tai Chi, they have a concept called a shot of vitality. And for them, they start your days off with a shot of vitality. And the idea is to get all engines firing. You know, there's indigenous tribes that they wake up and they don't just wash, like have a shower. They actually chug a bunch of water and it's part of the kickstart routine to fire up their bodies for the day. They don't, they say, we don't just wash the outside. We actually wash the inside and get the engine going by chugging a bunch of water to get everything going. So we're ready for the day. And that's something that I think fits into everything that you've said here. That's really, really powerful advice. Yeah, so absolutely. Darryl, I, I would always go out for a run or a bike ride or a swim. If I have a big deadline a day, if I have a big presentation, if I'm yep. giving a keynote at the location and I will be the kickoff speaker in Singapore for the biggest speaking conference outside the US on in May now, and I'm already planning, okay, should I go for a run? Should I go for a bike ride? I planned that several weeks before, so it's in my schedule, making yeah. sure, because that means exactly what you say. I need to be, you know, in the best shape and the blood need to be pumping. I need to be ready. And yeah. just waking up, going for a big breakfast would be the worst preparation yeah. unless I had a run before or something. All your blood's going to go to people that are listening. When you eat, all your blood goes to your stomach. Your body now takes energy away from thinking everything just to digest food. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah. I actually haven't eaten yet today. It's 1230. I haven't eaten yet today. I typically, if I do eat, it's like liquid around 11, it's like a liquid thing. So it, or lots of fruit. So it's lightweight and all that heavy stuff. I just pack it all in before bed. You know, the, like the meat and all the heavy, I just put that at the end of the day because it's, it's real. I love this. This is great. So now, what would you recommend to someone who's starting out or struggling in business? They're like, okay, I need to be vulnerable. I need to put my health first and have discipline, but I've got a new business, the pandemic, I had a career change, whatever. What would you recommend to someone starting out or struggling? Well, it's back to the first thing we discussed. It's being vulnerable, you know, find a group of people, find an organization where you can be vulnerable. And that now maybe we can bring in that's what i'm working with we are creating in my business we are creating confidential peer groups we have them for the entrepreneurs but we have com confidential peer groups otherwise for the executives so if we take the example of the entrepreneurs then they will be in a peer group with other entrepreneurs where they are discussing their challenges the strategies they have they can go up and present the strategy they can seek advice how should i get you know investments for this someone might go up and present this is my exit plan and then people will question you and support you again being vulnerable you cannot expect to do everything alone so think mm. of how can i create join a group or set, set up a mastermind group with like-minded yeah i love that success is a team sport I love that. I love that. And we all have our own superpowers, but we also have our weaknesses. So I think that's so fantastic. So now what was some of the best advice that you feel that you've had from these people that you call being vulnerable, you know, from the challenges and the, the different, you've had international experiences too. What's some of the best advice? 
Well, I, I keep reaching out for advice now. Then, as I mentioned, I have a big presentation coming up in May, and I naturally look back and who has presented at this conference before this particular event because I'm the kickoff speaker. So I reached out to them. I yesterday spoke with one of the guys there. He did it two years ago. He said, "Well, I I made this mistake. I didn't know the audience well enough. I thought it would be business people, but the audience was professional speakers. So that was his biggest mistake." He then said they. Are looking at more motivation he said you know people want to run up and high five you after the event so that made a big difference so i i now know what to expect when i get in there so i think you know again the advice is here and what i really picked up is don't do it alone reach out talk to people ask them what were their learnings what was your mistake with this if you did it if you did this talk again what would you have done differently? That's what I asked him. Well, mm. I would have studied the audience. I would have done this. I would have had more motivational. I would end on a high, you know. So I learned from him. And, and that also gave you know him, him a chance to wake up his experience two years ago, tie him yeah. in. And I can offer him a seat. Hey, by the way, do you want to come over and, and have a look at my talk? And, and so on. So again, it's communicating, asking, and don't act like you have all the answers yourself. That's the true advice. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Because we're all kind of figuring it out. So now, what do you feel are some of the future trends? I mean, a lot of people are concerned about AI. A lot of people are concerned about, you know, being replaced. There's all sorts of disruptions. There's a lot of health issues that are arising everywhere. You know, there's geopolitical issues. What do you see over the next three to five years? And what do you think business owners should focus on? Yeah, I think everyone who is raising the concern and worry that they will be replaced, I think the fact is that they will be replaced. So I choose to be the replacer. I choose to grab the bull by the horn and I spend time to reinvent myself every day. I sign up for as many master classes in ChatGPT I can. I have promoted two of my staff into being basically full time researching AI and ChatGPT and training the rest of my staff now and training me. So we have created groups where we are learning and you need to have this learning mindset. If you don't have that, then you might as well just resign and retire. Yeah, I don't know if that's, that's not even, you know, universal basic income, even if people like that idea. I mean, it's just getting by. It's just getting by. It's not, you know, like, all right, we have universal basic income. You now have what everybody else has and you're just going to get by. I'm I'm telling you, we talked about this before. I'm telling you, you can be you can have millions in the bank and be sitting on a beach, beautiful girls under each arm, drinking your drinks and that's fun for a time. It's not going to be a fulfilling life, you know. I I want to can I share a short story? It's it's not even my story. Alan Watts is this great I don't even know what to call it, allegory called the the dream. And he talks about, you know, imagine that every night you went to sleep, you could dream a hundred years of life or however many years of life that you wished. So every night you went to sleep, you dream an entire lifetime of existence. And in the beginning, your life would be full of pleasure. You do all the most pleasurable things, right? You do whatever you wanted, the greatest fantasies, orgies, all that great stuff. But as your life progressed and you kept doing this over and over, you'd get bored. And you'd want something different. You'd want some adventure, some risk. And at some point you'd be like, you know, this is great, but because I know I'm going to wake up at the end of the night, that thrill isn't there. So eventually you go to sleep and go tonight when I sleep, I want all that opportunity and difficulty. I want the challenges. 
I want the uncertainty and I don't want to know I'm going to wake up at the end. You know, and in the infinite possibilities of life in the universe, it's possible that you could be dreaming the life that you're living now. And just to sit there getting by, I'm just, for a lot of people, it's not stimulating. You know, there's people that opt out. There's people that commit suicide. It's not, a, you know, it's a harsh rally of life. They just get by and it's so unfulfilling. They're like, I need to restart. You know, whatever they think is going to happen, you know, they want to see an out. So it's really important. The Japanese have a term called ikigai. And I think that that's an incredibly important thing. It's before you go do 10 years of work, make sure that it's going to take you in the direction you want to go kind of thing. I think that that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah and that, that's my point to Daryl. If you are not interested in growing and being part of this world, which I find the most exciting world we ever lived in, then I say, get out, take some unpaid leave or, or, or resign. That's what I mean. That's my blood and come back when you're hungry. If yeah. that is 24 hours or a week, or if you have savings to last you for a month, then come back in the game when you are ready, because the world has changed. And if you're not ready for that, you're going to be left behind miserable. And we just have to accept it and live this exciting I, new life. I love that. Come back when you're hungry. Ah, oh, that's such a good term that hungry, that hungry. I heard this song at the gym the other day and it's just been, yeah, that's such a good, yeah, it's such a good term. So, all right. So you think the future is more AI and there will be replacements. So how does someone survive being replaced by AI? They take the learnings, but I mean, aren't our robots going to be doing everything for us at some point? No, not everything. There's a lot of things, relationships and people. We still need to be humans. We still need to move around. And, and, and again, I link it back to, you know, nature and sport. Get out there, join clubs, societies, get out, get active, hiking and everything. Meet people, be inspired, share ideas, and you will find yourself in a new role before you know it. Mm, I love that. I love that. I love that. Now, how about tips for people that they want to achieve like you? They want to be a number one entrepreneur. They want to be a number one podcast host. What do well, you see to them? I think the key learning I, I learned when I was in recovery is, you know, you have to give back the gift that you have been getting. So if someone is helping you with anything, sparing their time to mentor you or coach you and show you something like the friend who I called up, who was the speaker two years ago, now he's helping me. I need to give back that gift in order to keep it. So I need to be available and maybe even look out for the speaker who's taking that gig next next year, you know, and, and proactively be there for that person and say, hey, I did a talk last year. If you want some tips and advice, feel free to ping me. That's paying it forward. We need to remember to always be of service and be there for others as well. That keeps me excited. And that's how I grow my network and myself. Now, how about prioritizing, though? I mean, you've put a lot out there, like connecting with people. A lot of the stuff isn't necessarily revenue generating activity. So how do you prioritize? How do you find that balance? Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. And I think that's the beauty now with AI. We can be more efficient. We can delegate more to AI. And also we can have some people managing the AI, managing the robots around us and humanize it, make it personal and uh, then we become more efficient and we can help more than, you know, we have more time for this, what is meaningful. And I, I just signed up one new client now. Before this call, I had a call with a mother whose daughter is on her way to become a professional golfer and she's going through some mental struggling times. Well, I was a top golfer and I'm working on mental toughness. 
and I said, I'm happy to give you do a couple of sessions with here. I'm not looking at this as a monetary thing. And that's how I approach some things. If I can have the capacity and if I have the money to do that, I had the luxury to do that and being of service. But this is thanks to AI. This has freed up a lot of my time and my team is more efficient delivering. I don't have to proofread as many things as before is handed to me at the higher level. So what would you say if you could are some of the top revenue generating activities? Oh, there's so much is moving so fast, right? And and it's just connecting the dots and seeing what you can be, what what your interests are in. I'm looking now to expand my business into new services. You know, I'm doing more into the coaching space, more into the keynote speaking space. Before, I didn't have the time to do that because to do the outline for talks and you know creating new workshops and things like that. With AI now, this is possible to do much faster. So I, I'm not exactly sure where the revenues will be. Daryl, in this space moving forward, maybe you have some ideas yourself. Well, I, yeah, actually, I can look it up. I keep, I have a Google Drive doc. Take me a second to open it, but I keep one called "What Brings in the Money." I think that would be a good thing. Let me see if I can get this. So, what brings in the money? I know it's all money is made from getting money from somebody else. You know, problems are markets. I know that social hierarchy came. It was originally established. Some say, I'm sure there's going to be naysayers, but from growing the food, I mean, the king owned all the land and therefore grew all the food. And so they were king because they had all the food. So the person who was the best producer at the food was kind of like, hey, you're in charge, right? And then the feed, we need to feed and protect ourselves from the bandits that want to come and steal. So it was the main food producer and then the protectors were the kind of the tier, top tier society, which you have. You know, like there's all sorts of movies where, you know, people that have had time in the military, you always pay respect to the veterans. Thank you for your service, right? For protecting, you know, the women, the children and the civilians, so to speak. So it's kind of the way is the food producers and the protectors and then society. So what brings in the money, though? Now I pull up this doc. It says putting offers in front of prospects, expanding product service offerings, segmenting lists into RFM quadrants to do those like the above. So an RFM is recency, frequency, monetary value. If you wanted to go see a movie, the best person to ask to see a movie with you is someone you just saw a movie with. If you went mm. and saw a movie with someone two years ago and you called them up now to see a movie tomorrow, they may or may not be available. But if you just went and saw a movie last night and you call them up, they'd be more likely to book a time with you, right? That's yep. RFM. Collecting from past due clients, sales presentations, meetings, upselling existing clients, prospecting lead gen, automating processes, putting content on autopilot, automating more sequential offers to your audience, uh, making more offers or special deals, endorsing more complimentary products or services, and focusing on the ads that drive your business. I haven't updated this in a number of years, but that was, a, you asked and I... I, I didn't have that in mind, but when you asked, I was like, actually, Google, what is that doc? So I'm, I'm glad I, you brought this up again. But it really comes down to help solving people, right? And helping problems and communicating. And I think, like you yeah. said, there's a lot of this that now AI, I think it's just going to be like a calculator for accountants. It didn't replace the need for accountants, but it sure, you know, cut the fat where you couldn't have an accountant that's like, oh, I'm crunching numbers. I'll get back to you next week. It's like, hey, bro, here's a calculator. You got an hour. What's, you know, what, what, you know. Am I, am I in the black, you know, or am I in the red? You know, you can't take two weeks to give that answer. So, um, Absolutely. Nick, you've gave such great content and you've got such good energy. This has been such a good, a good talk. I'm curious, you know, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? 
I think uh, we touched on everything and, you know, we went into the, the purpose, which is, I think, at the end of the day is the most important. We need to be happy with what we're doing and also about giving it back. We covered that. So there's not much there. And only if I can leave, you know, one last remark is if someone again has something that is giving them pain or giving them anxiety, talk about it and think about who you can ask this. There's so many anonymous, you know, support groups out there. There's coaches, mentors. There's so many you can talk to on Zoom these days. You don't have to go perhaps and be seen. And if you worry about anonymity, many of these organizations are anonymous. I'm a volunteer myself also for a suicide hotline in Singapore. And, you know, the whole world is full of volunteers. Use us. We're all here to support. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. If people want to get in touch, they want to learn more about you, Nick. They want to interact somehow. How do they find you? They can look up uh, Nick Johnson on LinkedIn and it's spelled N-I-C-K-J-O-N-S-S-O-N. And just finally, if any one of the listeners want to look up my book, it's on Amazon. It's called Executive Loneliness. Executive Loneliness. I love that. That's a real That's a real thing because you can't, being an entrepreneur is, I mean, forgive, forgive me, I know we're wrapping up, but that's such an important point because your staff don't understand you. A lot of times the person's spouse doesn't understand them. And when you hit trouble, that's why I love about this vulnerability thing is when you people hit trouble, a lot of entrepreneurs, who do you ask? You can't call up your competitor and be like, Hey, I know we're fighting for the same customers, but sales are down. What are you doing? Right? Like that just doesn't, that doesn't happen. So that's such a great topic. Once again, it was executive loneliness is the name of the book. That's executive right. Executive Loneliness, Nick Johnson, J O N S S O N. Go check him out on LinkedIn, go get a copy of his book. And if you're in Singapore, definitely go look up his EGN network. Nick, it's an honor and a pleasure, my friend. I look forward to talking to you more and hopefully we'll have you back in a bit. Sounds great, Daryl. Looking forward to having you on my show as well.